Welcome everyone to today's PCT podcast. I'm PCT Senior Digital Editor Brad Harbison, and my guest today is Carla Salp, who is the Communications Consultant for the Washington State Department of Agriculture, WSDA. And WSDA has been working hard this past year to track the presence of and to eradicate the invasive Asian giant hornet. So in our podcast today, we're going to talk to Carla about the work that WSDA has done both on its own and in partnership with others. And we're also gonna find out about some of WSDA's plans to manage the invasive insect in 2021 and beyond. So Carla, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. So Carla, just looking back at the events from this past year, you know, where was the, the Asian giant hornet discovered in Washington and by whom? Uh, so a gentleman by the name of Jeff Cornelis contacted us in December of 2019 to report um, what he thought might be an Asian giant hornet. And kind of interestingly enough, he actually posted it on Reddit first. Um, and the people said, uh, you need to report that to your Department of Agriculture. So he actually, I think he reported to the Invasive Species Council and then um, because there's a lot of different invasive species managers in Washington state and Asian giant hornet falls in our bucket. So it got sent on to us and uh, we were able to collect the specimen from him and confirm that it was an Asian giant hornet and then sent it off to two separate USDA laboratories. And they also independently confirmed that was Asian giant hornet. So that was the first one confirmed in the United States. And, you know, prior to this uh, discovery, was this something that was even on um, WSDA's radar? Was it something that you guys were on the lookout for? Yeah, it was kind of ironic because just the October prior to that, we had updated a little invasive species pamphlet that we had, and we had added Asian giant hornet as one of the invasive species to watch out for. So it was definitely on our radar, and we had been um, talking about plans like how can we conduct some kind of sort of minimal survey just so we can you know, positively say, you know, it's not here, we haven't detected it. And so all of those plans were kind of in the works when we actually got a detection. Um, and it, it's not, it's also not out of the blue because Canada had had a confirmed detection in, in September. So it is something that had been on our minds for actually several months, but um, it's different that going from having something on your mind and really thinking about it to we have to have an eradication plan. That's a big yeah. leap. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, I, I can imagine. And as far as, um, you know, you said it was sort of on your radar, um, any theories as to how it arrived both in, in Canada and in Washington? You know, a lot of people have tossed out theories. The real answer is that we just don't know. And like most invasive species, we probably never will know how it got here. Um, gypsy moth is a notable exception where we know the person who brought it over here. We know the reason why they brought it over here. We know, you know, exactly when it got here and how it spread. Um, but that's really not common. Oftentimes invasive species, um, you know, pop up and no one really knows how they got here. Other than to say that it's almost always without exception, some form of human movement. And then uh, just as a, as a quick review, can you talk a little bit about how this hornet is different from others that are commonly found in North America in terms of biology and behavior? Sure. The um, 
sort of the main difference is number one is its size. <laughs> it is right. the largest hornet in the world. So that is a, um, you know, kind of a tip right off. At, at the same time, you know, at this time of year, we start getting reports of Asian giant hornet because you've got queen bumblebees flying out, um, which you would think people could tell the difference between a bumblebee and a hornet. But a lot of people, they just aren't familiar, you know, and they're trying to be helpful and keep their eyes open. So we're getting people reporting bumblebees, which are also large insects. So, um, you know, it's not the only large insects that we have here. Other common common mistaken ones are like the cicada killer. I'd say that's probably the second most common one that we get from all over the U.S. But as far as how it compares to other hornets, um, one of the other main differences is that they normally nest in the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were a little caught off a little bit off guard because we got one of the rare exceptions last year, which was actually in a tree. Um, but it was in a tree cavity, not like hanging in a nest in a tree. So if you see you know, a nest hanging in the tree, that is not an Asian giant hornet. Um, they're always going to nest within something, usually the ground. Um, you've got that really distinctive large orange head um, leaning a little bit toward the yellow color, but I really think it's distinctive from the yellow that you would see, for example, on a paper wasp or yellow jacket. It really has more of an orange color to me than than yellow, so that's another Thing that distinguishes it from other uh, wasps and hornets that we might have here. Well, thanks for that quick primer. And you mentioned before it was an invasive pest that was on your radar. You got the confirmation that it was in fact the Asian giant hornet. And then from there, how did how did WSDA sort of jump into action to control the spread of this pest and monitor for it in the future? Well. It was a really challenging task and partly because we had the one detection and for us it came incredibly late in the year. It was, um, you know, a bit astounding to have an Asian giant hornet flying in December. So, um, you know, when we get a report that late in the year, there's no way that we can go out and put a survey up to try and find other hornets to de um, determine where they might be. So we knew right from the start that we had a really challenging task because other than finding it in the Blaine, Washington area, you know, it could have, they're very strong flyers. So it could have flown from miles away. It could have flown from somewhere else in Washington. It could have even flown from Canada. We just didn't know. And so from the very beginning, we knew that public outreach and education was gonna play a major role because we needed people to have their eyes open and report any suspected sightings that they might have. And in fact, that ended up being incredibly successful as half of the confirmed reports that we had last year came from the public. And so the rest were basically in, in the, the traps that we had out. But um, that's pretty astounding when half of our survey success came from people just being really observant and reporting what they thought might be an Asian giant hornet. Yeah, we did have to sort through thousands of non-Asian giant hornet reports. But um, in the end, it was incredibly successful, um, that public engagement piece. But we also knew we had to do some sort of trapping program on our own. Unfortunately, there are no like pheromone specific Asian giant hornet traps. And so we, um, we worked with USDA and they provided 
a, a kind of a guidance document with some trapping options based on the research that was available. That was also very challenging to come up with and to examine for ourselves because most of the research in Asian giant hornets is in Japanese. And so um, that provides another layer of challenge to getting the information that you need. The other uh, challenge is that there had been, um, this is the first known introduction of Asian giant hornets outside of their native range at all. So no one has ever tried to eradicate Asian giant hornets anywhere in the world before. And so there's really no playbook, playbook to pull from. Um, so USDA gathered all of that research together that they could, made some suggestions of possible traps. And the one that we decided to go with both for ourselves and for the um, citizen scientist trapping that we uh, program that we started as well was this orange juice and cooking rice wine trap. And the cooking rice wine helps keep um, honeybees out. And in fact, our, our data shows that there were very few honeybees caught in the traps at all of the thousands of submissions that we had last year. So that's great. Um, and the other reason why we chose that trap was because the ingredients are readily accessible in the United States. There were some other traps that um, might even be more successful, but the either you couldn't get the products or the products were cost prohibitive in the US. So trying to suggest the public go buy these really expensive <laughs> products um, wasn't doable. So, um, you know, all of this was a process and our plans, we had, they were in flux, you know, a little bit over the time that we were planning things and adapting as we learned uh, new information. Uh, and it was all done very quickly, but again, because there were so many people working together on this, not only from WSDA, but from USDA and then consulting with our Canadian counterparts as well, um, you know, we were able to get it done. Yeah, and I, I can remember reading some of those reports about some of the monitoring and some of the outreach you even asked the public to, to assist with. And it was a, a really uh, great job by your group and some others to kind of mobilize and, uh, and get on top of this before it, you know, this, it spread worse. And, um, you know, kind of looking back um, on that experiences, I mean, what are maybe some things that WSDA learned from these efforts and, these ex and how do you think these experiences have impacted your plans for this year? Well, one of the things that we learned was last year, we did actually do some experimental trapping in the spring for emerging queens. And that was a complete and utter failure, basically. You know, we didn't catch one queen at all. Uh, I mean, we caught a couple like bald-faced hornet queens, but that was it. Um, and so this year, we are actually working with the Mount, Caper, Mount Baker Beekeeper Association to run another small um, spring trapping experiment. But other than that, we're, we've just decided they're not out there in great enough numbers. You know, we know that from our trapping last year, um, the population still seems to be quite small. And so it's not worth the resources and efforts and killing other insects unintentionally to put out those spring queen traps. So we're still going to focus, though, on the um, the OJ and rice wine will be our main traps for the 2021 trapping season. But another thing is that, again, some of that research trapping for other hornets has been successful using uh, brown sugar and water mixture in the traps. And so we have uh, 
created a set of instructions for the public to use that trap as well, um, which will make it easier, more affordable. You don't have Boy Scout troops using rice cooking wine <laughs> um, to when they're putting up their traps and that kind of thing. A um, little bit less disgusting than you know pouring out the OJ after a week. So that was another lesson that we had learned. Um, there's another one I'm thinking of. It went in and out of my brain. <laughs> I'll think of it later. On the communications front, I know when this when the reports started coming out, there were headlines like killer hornets and murder hornets. What are some myths and misperceptions about this pest, the Asian giant hornet? Um, well, number one is that we created the murder hornet name. We did not do that. <laughs> Just clearing that up right now. Um, that did come, it came through the New York Times story, but um, it really came from a Japanese um, researcher in, in Japan. And so I think it was a poor translation, but um, nevertheless, that's kind of what kicked everything off. So, you know, the murder hornet is not an official name by any means. Also, a lot of people think that they're out sort of, quote unquote, murdering people. While people can technically die from Asian giant hornet stings, and that is a real threat they should be aware of, um, you know, as long as you leave them alone, they're going to leave you alone. So um, that's kind of the main misconceptions out there is exactly how, um, I don't wanna give the impression that they're not dangerous because they are, um, they can kill people and they do kill people, but as long as you're respecting their space, they'll generally leave you alone as well. So that's another kind of big misconception that's out there. There's another misconception. We get a lot of people saying that they came from China. They did not come from China. <laughs> Our <laughs> DNA suggests that the ones in the U.S. actually um, were from South Korea and the introduction in Canada was from Japan. Also along the lines of, of public relations, I know that the Discovery Channel um, has done this documentary and followed your team around. And can you tell us how this opportunity came about and, and how do you think this sort of helped raise awareness about the work that the WSDA and the public are doing? Yeah, well, we had a couple of different documentary film crews reach out to us. Um, we had another one that created one that was more of an informal um, you know, sort of independent film. And then the discovery crew is the one that actually basically followed through <laughs> with the re with the request. And so it was really um, interesting and just really fortuitous the time that they arrived because they happened to arrive and start filming the day before we caught the first um, Asian giant hornet. Oh no, it was it was the day of, so they caught it that, that day. Um, so their timing could not have been better to really capture kind of that whole really exciting part of the season where we were finally capturing some live ones, getting um, getting them tagged and attempting to make those tags stick, and then finally um, succeeding with that on our third try and finding the nest. So it was pretty awesome to have them tagging along the this particular film crew was pretty good about you know staying out of our way which was one of our concerns and uh, obviously we were concerned about their safety as well if we were to encounter a nest um, we weren't sure how the hornets would react so they were um, a really conscientious film crew which which helped um, but I mean from my perspective you know WSDA could never have afforded to pay 
to have somebody do this kind of filming. And so it was really a wonderful benefit to have all of this truly historical work uh, recorded in such an excellent, you know, by professional uh, photographers and videographers. Um, it's really recorded it in my mind, you know, for the whole world to, to see this kind of really important moment. And, um, you know, we had nothing to do with the editing of the film, um, but I'm glad that they were able to portray how it took so many people working together with both the government and the public, especially to really make this work. Because if we had not had that assistance from the public, I think of um, Philip Bovenkamp in particular, who um, reported and where we caught the very first live Asian giant hornet and let us trample his property for like a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, you know, without that kind of persistence, I mean, he even, he climbed up on his roof after our first failure and caught another live one, um, which I don't recommend, but I mean, that's the kind of commitment that allowed us to succeed here. If we had to do it on our own, we would not, um, we would not have found that nest, frankly. Oh, really interesting. Yeah. And I, from what I've seen, it looks like a, a pretty cool documentary and, so I'm sure something that our readers would be interested in. The last thing I, I want to touch on here is what WSDA is doing now and its plans for the future. And I know that just uh, sent out a press release about WSDA's partnership with officials in Canada. Can you talk about that and what your trapping plans are for 2021? Yeah, so over the winter, we've just been evaluating how things went in 2020 and he plans to adapt for 2021. There's really very little changed for 2021. I already spoke about some of the lessons learned. Another one is that we are changing the um, how you cut the entrance to the bottles. So it's more of a star shape as opposed to a square, which we think will make it more difficult for hornets to get out of. Um, but we've, you know, we've adapted those plans and um, are ready to get going again in, in 2021. Um, I really, we've, been working with Canada and USDA and all of our partners all along. Um, but I really liked that this time we came out with one big joint press release and press conference to sort of demonstrate that we really all are in this together. As uh, I think Paul Van Westendorp said, he's who's the entomologist from Canada, you know, the, the Asian giant hornets do not respect the international border. So, um, if one side or the other is not doing um, their part to keep this from establishing, it's going to fail. So um, this partnership has been strong from the beginning and I'm really glad that, you know, I saw a lot of the stories that came out and they really emphasized that partnership um, aspect of, of the Asian giant hornet response, which I don't think has really been emphasized before, even though it was there. So I'm, I'm happy to see that. Um, awareness moving forward. As you know, our readers are owner operators and, and technicians out in the field doing the work. And if some of these folks were to get questions from customers about these pests, what are some of the talking points that they could that they could share with them? Well, it I mean, it's location-based. So if you're not in Washington state, you can put most people's minds at ease by saying, you know, don't worry. <laughs> As of now, Asian giant hornet has not been confirmed in any other state except for Washington state. So, I mean, that puts a lot of people's minds at ease, even if they're 100% convinced that they saw Asian giant hornet. There are some great resources. I would say 
our website, agr.wa.gov hornets is a really good resource where we have a ton of information about Asian giant hornet as well as the work that we've been doing. But USDA also has a really good website. And if you just Google Asian giant hornet USDA, that'll bring that up. And um, we have some of these on our website too, but um, they have really good photos of kind of like side-by-side -side images of Asian giant hornet and some of the other insects that are commonly reported to us like cicada killer. Those are probably gonna be your two best resources or information about Asian giant hornet in the US that's um, accurate. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's not other accurate information out there, but I know that these two uh, provide accurate information. Well, Carla, I think that's all uh, the questions I had for you, but I appreciate you taking some time with us and sharing with our readers some of the work that WSDA has been doing in partnership with these other groups to stay on top of Asian giant hornet and uh, some of the work that you've been doing, not only to monitor, but to also eradicate it. So appreciate the time. You're so welcome. Thanks for covering this topic. Great. And for our readers, thanks for, for joining us for our podcast today and have a great day.